Okay. Okay, then. Okay, now. We are here, right here, right now, with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener, if you've listened back a few times, you find yourself coming back again and again, please share your favourite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are interested in the sort of things we're talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about primal therapy. This is a big one. There's a lot in this. This really does have a lot of components to it, a lot of complexes to it. And it's critical. It's critical for any sort of holistic, complete spiritual development, any sort of personal development or any sort of deep work that you're doing, you've got to have a component of this sooner or later. You have to be aware of this. Now, this primal therapy, it was originally pioneered by Arthur Yanov, an American psychologist, and he had his institutions and he wrote his books on primal therapy, most notably the primal scream. But since then, primal therapy, it's sort of taken a life of its own. It's sort of had its own... I mean, this was in the 70s and 80s that he was doing this. And since then, it's sort of become its own branch of psychology or own branch of therapy with a psychological component, a psychology component to it. And I'll be talking more broadly today. I'll be talking more generally about the dynamics. And we do want to actually broaden and deepen what we understand as primal therapy. But also to say a little bit more about why it's important. Think of it like you're going through life as an experience. Life is just one big experience. And the navigating of this experience, of this dream that we're in, is of utmost importance. It's of utmost importance. It's really the thing that, well, it's what we're here to do. It's what's happening. It's what we're doing. And yet we have this idea that we have multiple experiences. We have different things that happen to us which have different qualities. They're qualitatively different. And this is in probably the most fundamental and broadly speaking way of describing the human condition, the thing this makes the thing that makes us what we are, the thing that decides how we play this game, how we dream this dream or live this dream that we have. So anything that is to do with experientialism and understanding how our experiences have shaped us and how we experience experiences is of utmost importance, is of utmost interest to us. Now, in its basic conception, primal therapy is this idea that 
things happen to you in your childhood, most notably trauma, which you've now suppressed, which you've now forgotten about, which you've now put out of something that is what we could call your total understanding of all your experiences. It's something you don't include as something you have experienced when, in fact, you have experienced it. And most notably, it's trauma. Most notably, it's things that are negative, that are bad. And the theory of Arthur Yanov is that you need to uncover these and you need to go back into these experiences in order to understand your complexity, your composition. And that might be tricky. That might be actually quite difficult because in many cases you've completely forgotten about it. In many cases you don't have a tangible memory. And in many cases you've actually decided to actually not have a memory and you're actually actively working against yourself to have a memory. And even if you know you were abused, even if you know there was something, the specifics may not be apparent to you. And primal therapy has many techniques, many ways of revealing those things. You can actually, in so many ways, unwire those hidden memories through processes, through talk, theory, uh, talk techniques, through experiencing techniques. And the talking and the narrative side of it is only one component, one component of it. And really, more importantly, was the experience. So when you'd have primal therapy, you'd actually relive the experience of your trauma. You'd actually find a way to go in and have that happen again. And then you'd be able to integrate this experience. And this is hardcore stuff. This is really powerful stuff. This is stuff that really, it, it's a little bit freaky. It's a little bit almost like, is, is this really happening? How can this be happening? If you've done any of this work, if you've known anything about this, you can realize that the experiences you've had before you can have again. And that's a very big insight. That's a very big realization to come to. And the implications are so far wide ranging that, well, it's quite hard to integrate them. It's quite hard to even talk about how many different things this would imply. And the experiences of trauma, they also have implications and ramifications on your addictions, your adulthood behaviors, your relationships, your psychology, your emotional well-being, and your experiential well-being in general. So that's a little bit about why this is important, and that's a little bit about what can be expected. And I don't want to say too much about that. I don't want to say... I don't want to linger on the point too much longer, but maybe we'll come back to it. Maybe in other conversations or maybe later on we'll be able to discuss a little bit more about what these things mean and what you can do to actually work with it. Now, if you don't consider yourself as someone who has trauma, you think, 
well, I just had pretty good life as a child. I was a pretty happy, pretty happy family, pretty basic. Well, not so fast. You're not getting off the hook that easy. Because actually, when we broaden our definition of primal therapy, everyone has a sense of experiences. Everyone has a component of their younger experiences that they're not integrating. And even if you feel like you've had this great life and you're, you've had a perfect childhood, you still need to learn the skill of integrating previous experiences, whether good or bad. You still need to navigate the experiential world. You still need to navigate the dream. You still need to make your way through life. So even if you don't have any, what we might call real, quite serious trauma, then you're still needing this as a part of your spiritual toolkit. You're still needing this as a part of your methods, your methodologies to really crack open this thing of experience, really deepen this thing of experience. Because because think of it now, I keep using this word experience, 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 phenomenological experience, subjective experience, immediate experience, perception experience. How many times have we been talking about this? We've talked about this so many times already. In so many conversations, we're talking about experience. But what is it exactly that we're trying to get at with that word? What is it that you really mean by that, Dosta? What is it that this word experience really is meant to imply? And really, primal therapy is the answer to that. Primal therapy is one of the most powerful ways to actually crack into your experiences, to actually crack into what it means to experience multiple things, to re-experience things, to experience things deeper. And if you do the work, you do the research and you do the work and you go through the motions and you do the therapy, then this word experience will mean something very different to you after all that. It will mean, it, it, it will have a different weight to it. It will have a different flavor to it. And that's part of all therapy, actually, which is the, the, the dividing and enriching of this difference between words and a story or a psychology and experience, experience itself. And you'll find this not just in primal therapy, but in all sorts of therapy, that you'll be using words and you'll start to notice that they seem different. What they seem to imply is different. But primal therapy is a very powerful example of how that actually happens and how you can have that insight, that realization, that growth for yourself. So let's go through some Let's go through some primal therapy depths, shall we say. And maybe we'll contrast this with some other therapies, but I think 
as we go through, you'll see how primal therapy is a thing unto itself. And what we're working with, essentially, is someone who's trained, so a facilitator or a therapist, and someone who knows the theory, they know the techniques, they know the methods, and they're experienced themselves with primal therapy, and they're working with you, and they're actually guiding you into certain things. And there's many ways they can guide you in. It might be hypnosis, it might be self-talk, it might be suggestibility, it might be visualizations. And this therapist is working with you personally. They actually know a little bit about you, they know what you're wanting to work with. And to get the most out of this, you really want to know what you're working on. You want to have a central issue or something that you want to bring to the table. You want to have some kind of result that you're looking for. So that's the best way to approach this. And just imagine that it's a one-on-one sort of thing. Now, primal therapy is not always one-on-one. It can be done in groups. But most of the time it's done with a one-on-one practitioner with a therapist. Now, this in mind is probably, with this in mind, it's probably a good point in this conversation to add a disclaimer. So what we're talking about in this conversation is not therapy. What I'm saying to you does not count as giving you therapy. We are talking conceptually here today. So if you are unstable or you are not emotionally sound, or you have problems with trauma, then what we're talking about here today is not advice. It's not professional advice. It's not designed for people who are needing help. So don't take me as your therapist. I'm not your therapist. Because, of course, I don't know you. There's no connection at all. Well, there, there is a connection in some way. I mean, I feel you out there, but not in the level of the therapist that is helping the individual in a personal one-on-one setting. So disclaimer, all advice, all words, all things that we discuss here are given without warranty, without guarantee. And if you're someone that needs therapy, then you need to seek professional help. So, primal therapy, it starts with just before puberty. It starts with just before your sexual drive is activated. So, we're talking about eight years old, nine years old, seven years old, this sort of age. So, everything after that, we don't need to talk about. So, anything that happened, anything that you think, any places that you were, any stories that you've got, they're irrelevant. Irrelevant from your childhood, adolescence, from your teenage years, from your young adult life, all of puberty, all of adolescence, all of your new first girlfriends and boyfriends, first moving out of home, mid-twenties, late-twenties, thirties, all of that, irrelevant. We're going before, we're starting before puberty. And then what we do is we work our way backwards. So what you can talk about is just those few first memories. It's just those few little ones. 
that you have, almost like we're starting with your very first memories, the things that you can sort of hazily remember. And it's the sort of things that you might have not fully remembered, but they've actually been told to you. It's where the memory becomes blurry. And from here, well, it might seem like, well, how can you know anything else? But we do actually work our way backwards. Primal therapy works deeper. And from your earliest memories, we work back to, well, what were you like as a child? A pre-talking child. What were you like as a baby? So we're talking from zero years to about three years old. And, well, it might be that you even know a few things about this without even having to ask your family or whoever served as your family figures because they've told you. They might have told you, oh, little Doster was like this as a baby. Oh, he was always doing this as a baby. My mother always told me I was doing this as a baby. And these sorts of things. And then, of course, you can also ask. You can say, hey, mum, what was I like as a baby? And actually involvement with the family. This is where primal therapy crosses over with family family therapy. And so you, it's where it crosses over and you talk and you actually ask and you actually delve into information that you get from family members who were around before you were. And this will tell you things. This will be revealing of things. And the therapist won't draw conclusions. They won't say, oh, this is how you turned out like this because you did this or you were like this as a baby. But it will tell you things. And from there, you can actually work even further backwards. And then you're asking things about your mother to do with the pregnancy. So what was the pregnancy like? What was the labor like? What was it like to actually be given born to? What time of day? Who was around? What were the circumstances? Were there lots of doctors? Was there lighting in the room? Was there sounds in the room? Was it expected? Was it not? How was the what what were the life conditions during the the carrying of the nine months? Were there stresses? Were there financial pressures? Was the father around? Was it expected? That's a good one. Was it ex- an expected pregnancy? How did the mother feel about being pregnant? How did she feel? How did your mother feel when she found out that you were pregnant? Do you know that? Do you know that answer? How did your mother feel when she found out she was pregnant with you? And if you can answer that or if you can sense that question deeply, then you're starting to get a sense of the essence of primal therapy. You're starting to get a sense of how deep this work goes. And in fact, one of the traumas that primal therapy works with is birthing trauma. So the trauma of being born is one of our core foundational traumas. And there are methods and there are techniques, in fact, within primal therapy that allow you to relive birth trauma. There are things that can help you work with 
that moment. And not all babies are born in trauma. Not all people are born in trauma. There are certain methods such as the underwater birth that allow for babies to come up very naturally and to be introduced gently to the world. And this is where you you basically have the baby come out and, and, and it's still attached to the umbilical cord and it's allowed to swim around and actually feel that the womb has opened up. And in this case, actually, the nose is still closed because when babies are in the womb, they have closed eyes and nose. And then with hands gently placed on the baby, it can be brought slowly into the air. I believe it's done head first, but very carefully. And that's a very different birth. That's a very different set of early conditioning to what we normally have, what most people have. So that's a little bit about birth trauma. And and part of it is, I mean, in, in primal therapy, you, you can relive this and you can actually work with this in so many different ways. And it's quite it's quite powerful. And I don't I don't know if we can really go off into many of the descriptions of that. So let's venture forth. Now, before your conception, before you were conceived. We are working backwards now. And now we get into the generational stuff. And this is family stuff. This is where we have the older generations having their influence on you. And this is deep stuff as well. This is a very deep part of it. And this can be done very much from just not even having to ask about your you don't even have to ask your parents or your grandparents about these things because most of us have information and even the information that we have is the thing that's influencing us. So what we say about our grandparents and our great-great-grandparents is usually the thing we're carrying around with us. So that's the thing we work with in primal therapy pre-birth. And if you're doing this in a group, wow, you really get to know people. It's very revealing to see this in others because you'll sit around and you'll be asked questions like, what did your, what did your grandfather do for a living? Was he an alcoholic? Did he ever cheat on his wife? Did he ever cheat on his grandma? Did he ever cheat on grandma? Was he involved in the war? Now, most people in this generation do have a grandparent that was involved in the war, World War II, because that was about how long ago it was. And if you go back one more generation, then you have World War I. And if you say, well, no, my grandparents were younger than that, well, there were, other, there were other wars around. There was also the American Vietnam War. And there's all sorts of questions you can ask that get at, well, family relations and how it was trickled down to you. Did your parents have the blessing of your grandparents to get married? Just ponder that question. My uh, my computer is getting low battery. I'm going to plug it in. 
Okay, we're back. Let me take a sip of tea. Did your parents have the blessing of your grandparents when they got married or when they had you, when they had kids? Do they get along well? Do the in-laws get along well? Or is it that they didn't want them to marry? And how was it for the generation above them? Was your great-great-grandparents giving the blessing of your grandparents when they got married? And of course, if you're going back that far, the, the culture around marriage and having kids and family is very different. There's much more conservative traditional values at that time. Much more religious values still. And religion is also a big part of this. Was your or your parents or your grandparents or your great-grandparents religious at all? Did they go to church? Were they married in a church? Did they believe? And that's just one of the questions that you can skewer through the generations. And alcohol is a big one. Depression is a big one. War is a big one. Money is a big one. Financial pressures or wanting money from different family members. Money can really tear families apart. Money can really cause a lot of rifts in relationships, generally, not even just family relationships. But these are the things that have an effect on you because they have a trickle-down way of leading on to the next generation. They have a way of actually bearing themselves on you. Because there's things that people simply resisted. There are experiences that people just swept under the carpet. Does your family have any secrets? Did your family have taboos? Did your family, and I'm talking about your grandparents, your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents, were there any secrets? Was there an auntie or an uncle or a great-auntie or an uncle who was homosexual? Were there any family members at all that was homosexual? And how was that talked about? That's also something that is very different generations back. Sexual orientation guilt runs deep. And of course you might say, well now we live in the liberal world, everyone's free to do what they want. Well, not quite. Still not quite. And back even just a few generations ago, it was even more difficult to come out as homosexual. It was even more difficult to be accepted by your family if you were homosexual. And if you have a father or a mother or a great-grandfather or a great-grandmother that suffered that or was the cause of the suffering of that, that will affect you. That will affect how you feel about your own sexuality, whether you're straight or not. Sexuality is another big one, like war and money and alcohol. And these questions, these 
things that you sit around and talk about will reveal things to you if you do primal therapy. You'll be able to get a sense of what it is that you're laboring under, and it's personal to each individual. You can't really just get a sense of it now. I mean, you can do the work by yourself. You can ask yourself these questions and find out your sense of the feeling of how they imply things to you. But there's no, there's no, I mean, there's never a direct ABC in therapy. It's not as though we say, oh, your grandparents, your grandfather was an alcoholic. Oh, this means that you're prone to alcoholism and addiction. It doesn't quite work like that. That's not what we're looking for. What we're really looking for is understanding. What we're really looking for is how you think about things and how you feel about certain things. And how do you feel about alcoholism? How do you feel about drinking? Do you have a conscious relationship with alcohol? Are you aware of the dark side of alcohol and how it affects you and how it has its way of making its way into your life in different ways? And it might be that you don't have a very big problem with alcohol. Alcohol therapy is, well, that's something different, isn't it? That's another branch of therapy. But this is, this is where it crosses over. This kind of primal therapy crosses over with the alcohol therapy. You know, you might have a 12-step program which deals with the part of this. So you can see how family therapy and alcohol or substance abuse therapy or addiction recovery weaves in with this kind of primal therapy. And further back, you have ancestry. You have... Well, what did your great-great-great-grandfather do? What did your great-great-grandmother do? And you do that on all sides. You've got four of those. He's really getting to the outer skirts of the family tree. And if you go back even further, well, then you've just got even more. And how many facts remain? How much information remains about that generation? The fifth generation, if you go back five generations. And the sixth generation. Now, to find things out about them, well, you have to really do some digging. You probably have to go to grandma's house. And she'll show you an old black and white photo, maybe, if you're lucky. And she'll be able to say a few, just a few things like, oh, he worked as a, he worked as a blacksmith or he worked on a farm. Or he worked in the newspaper. These sorts of things. And in some cultures, well, you actually do have a family history. Some cultures, some families do have a very strong sense of ancestry. And this is the beauty of ancestry. It's finding out about your past. You find out about who you are. And of course, now we have modern things that can trace all sorts of things. Now we have these modern ancestry institutions that can do all this information for you, then they can actually find out quite a lot. But that's ancestry. And actually, ancestry is only one strand of pre-birth primal therapy because the other strand, the other big one, is 
past lives. And I don't know too much about past lives. All I know is that there are certain techniques that you can do to reveal them to you and actually get in touch with them. And past lives as something to work with in your therapy is completely different to your bloodline, your ancestry. And it's really a deep topic, so I won't go too much into it here. And I really do need to do more research anyway myself. And I have had I have had certain experiences myself, but I just don't know a lot about it. So that would be... <laughs> past lives would be one of the things that I have more experience than knowledge about. So <laughs> I wonder how many things there are <laughs> in that category in my case. <laughs> so maybe in another conversation we'll be talking about past lives conditioning. And yet still, primal therapy goes deeper. We're working our way back because we can go back even further. And when we go back even further, we get into evolutionary conditioning. So when we touch on this, we get into a whole new range of things. We have a whole new things that open up that we're working with. And these are things that are, well, they're primal. That's why it's called primal therapy. They're, they're core. They're core to what it means to be a human. Things like sex drive, the killing drive, testosterone. Things like hunger and the thirst drive. Things like safety and shelter. Things like the navigation of space, gross objects. So these things that we work with in primal therapy are isolated and put on you in an experiential way. So something like the hunger drive or the thirst drive, well, you can actually work with that by getting in touch with it. And in primal therapy, you would actually go hungry. They might say, look, don't have breakfast. Don't have lunch. And if you're doing a certain group, they might actually work it out that you get in touch with the starvation, the feeling. And of course, you need to do this in a controlled environment. You need to do this with someone who's experienced. And then they'll also be testing you with, well, what sort of behaviors come up? What sort of things happen when you're hungry? Do you know what you're like when you're hungry? Do you know what you're like when you're thirsty? Do you know how it feels? Do you really know how it feels? And this is how primal therapy is so much bordered on the experiential side. Because it's not enough to just say, say what you think you are like when you're hungry. That's just the words that go along with it. That's just the story with it. But can you sense the feeling? Can you sense it in your body? Can you sense it in your stomach? Can you sense having a dry mouth? And with that feeling, with that experience, can you imagine trying to relate to someone, talking about something, saying certain things, being in certain 
difficult situations or unforeseen circumstances. And if you're working with a therapist, they'll be able to set this up for you. They'll be able to devise this for you. And you'll get in touch with it. And things will come up that are sometimes violent. Violence. The killing instinct. The survival instinct. This is something that very few people are actually really consciously aware of. And it's quite important that it's done in a controlled environment. It's quite important that it's done in a trusting environment. And actually part of the insight that comes with introducing yourself or reintroducing yourself to these deep primal experiences is that you're doing it consciously because you'll go into them. You might get angry. You might have that sense of killing or you might get your sense of hunger. And you'll go into these things and all the while you'll have in the back of your mind this thing of, well, there's a therapist in the room and they've got everything under control. And of course, even at times you might think, do they really have it under control? That's one of the things you'll contend with. That's one of the things that you actually that's that's one of the things that you actually confront when you confront your killing instinct. Because you realize you actually could kill someone. Given the circumstances, you actually could kill someone. And you would go through with it given the right circumstances. And if you're doing this experientially, then there'll be this other part of you which is saying, no, my goodness, I don't want to kill anyone. I don't want to hurt anyone. And that's the integration process. That's the actual way that you bridge these experiences into your consciousness, into your awareness. You go into primal experiences with still the understanding that it's you doing it. The thing that navigates into those becomes stronger. The thing that navigates into those experiences becomes clear to you. Who it is that has the hunger, who it is that is feeling the sense to kill, that becomes clear to you. And your ability to navigate it strengthens. It becomes more and more nuanced. It becomes more and more part of your range of experiences. And you can reach a point where, well, you can get it in touch quite clearly, your killing instinct or your hunger instinct. And you can actually harness it for good. You can actually say, oh, I'm actually going to do this. In a certain way, I can see how it applies to something positive, something productive, something creative. And this is something, well, it can actually really open up your sense of productivity with fasting. So this is where primal therapy crosses over with diet. 
So if you have something experiential happening with your hunger and you learn to navigate into that, well, then you can start to work with diet. And you can start to work with meditative practices that involve fasting. And there are certain energies that open up when you fast that are only available when you fast. They're only available if you stop eating or you eat at certain times or you eat certain amounts. And this is, this is a well understood of meditative practitioners. This is something that is well understood. And if you're going into fasting without any sort of understanding of the experience of hunger, then, well, it's a lot more difficult. Whereas if you've done the primal therapy and you've worked with it in and of itself, well, then now fasting becomes something that's quite easy. And if you're overweight, well, that's another story. That's another big part of this. If you're overweight, it might be that you're actually needing primal therapy because of your weight problem. Your addiction to food is a primal issue. And if you can get in touch with that sense of hunger, that sense of starvation, and work with it in different ways and really have it clear to you, then you can start to undo those issues. You can start to undo those problems. And you'll do it experientially. When you're doing primal therapy, it's not like you're it's not like you're taking notes. It's not like we're trying to write about it. And even those insights, even those sayings that come up, the things that are said during the processes, well, they don't need to be written down because they're so short. They're so simple. They're just a few words. There's no... There's no elaborate lecture. There's no elaborate explanation. There's no elaborate story. Now, of course, I'm not talking about when you're talking about your family. That's a bit different. But when we're talking about the primal drive, hunger, sex, killing, safety, shelter, And these things don't require a lot of words. They're experiential things. And in fact, one of the ways you get in touch with some of these things is through the scream. Screaming is something that puts you into primal spaces. Screaming is something that actually opens up these primal parts of us. And that's why Arthur Yanov has his book called The Primal Scream. And there's so many different things that he goes into there. So that's primal therapy in a nutshell. And if you're ever fortunate enough to do this in a group, you really start to see how complex a human being is. Because you start to see things in others. You start to see the vast depth of all that they've been through, 
all the generations before, before they were born and when they were born, and all the things that are affecting them that also affect you, all the deep things that we have in common as human beings. And you can actually form very close friendships with the people in your group if you do the work in a group. And I've been fortunate enough to do some of that myself. I've been very lucky. And the fundamental insight with, well, seeing things in others is that, well, it's so hard, isn't it? Because we only ever see the surface of things. We only ever see just things at face value. And if you do enough primal therapy, if you do enough deep work, it actually becomes quite mind-blowing how vast a human being is. I mean, how many things have come together for you to be here now, in this place, in this way? That vastness of the past stretches out. And it's so easy to talk about it generally. It's so easy to just summarize it. But to really get in touch with all the complexities, all the different dramas, all the things that are poised as factors into your composition. It's really quite mind-boggling. It really takes quite a lot. And this can lead to deeper questions. You can lead this to questions of, well, what was it like for you as a child? We've had a whole conversation about that. We had an episode called Social Sphere Koans. And that's where I actually listed out a whole bunch of questions that were designed to open you up to the complexities of other people. So you can listen to that episode if you want to know more about how this actually applies and how these questions and these understandings can be brought to a deeper relationship, a deeper understanding of what it means to really see the vastness of a human being. You must understand that a human being, a human being is a whole universe. A human being is not only an epic story, but they're a universe of experiences, of emotions. And there's no way you can sense that through words. There's no way you can sense that through your own limits, through the limits of your own lens, through the limits of your own perspective. The only way you can is by actually becoming part of them, by allowing them to become part of you and allowing them to open up in their own way. And that's one of the beautiful things about primal therapy is that it allows people to open up parts of them that never get seen. Never. And they would never get seen. You are 
you are literally finding something that no one else would have ever seen. And you find these things both with, within your friends, within your co-participants of your primal therapy work, and within yourself as well. You find things about yourself that would have never been found if you hadn't have done the work. And these experiences then enfold onto the thing that is having the experience of reality. These experiences are these experiences are reawakened again to you, to what you are within this dream, within this reality, within this great ball of magic that we call life. And that is something to really be grateful for. I mean, who wouldn't want more experiences? Who wouldn't want more depth to their life? And so often we think, well, I want more experiences in life. We think we have to go off and travel to a distant, distant land. We have to try new things. We have to really work and push out. Really just have an extroversion to newness. And of course, there's great things in that. I don't discourage those things. It's very important to do those things. But I think less often we realize that having more experiences actually means turning in. It means going back, back in time, from your childhood years to your toddler years to your baby years to your birth, to your family, to your ancestry, to your past lives, to your evolutionary conditioning and your primal instincts. There's a vast richness all around for what we can experience. And primal therapy is a very powerful tool that can open us to those things. So thanks very much for listening. That's all I have to say for now.